0: Uh, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We are working our way through the book of Matthew going line by line as we study the life and teachings of our master, Jesus. At City, we make it our goal to be apprentices of Jesus, to be with him, become like him, and do the kinds of things that he did. One of the ways we do this is here at the gatherings where uh, we open the scriptures together to learn. We sing songs in worship to Jesus. We make space for God's spirit to speak over us, and we do this all centered on the bread and the cup of communion. Now, uh, with this all in mind, um, let's just kind of close our eyes, take a deep breath in. Deep breath out, we are here to grow as apprentices of Jesus. We want our minds and our hearts to be prepared in that way. You guys ready? Okay, let's do it. Last week, we concluded the collection of Jesus' teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. These teachings are Jesus' explanation of what it means to live as citizens of God's kingdom here and now. They paint a picture of beauty and depth and richness of what it means to follow Jesus, a a soaring yet practical ethic as we allow Jesus to be our king. And now we continue on in Matthew. So look down at me uh, at verse one. And just a heads up, we're covering just four verses tonight, but there's like a ton that we need to unpack in those, so we're gonna do a bit of of work on the front end end of this teaching. So if you're hoping four verses were going to be quick and easy, Uh, jokes on you, Um, but it's going to be well worth it, I think. So uh, let's do it. Let's start in verse one. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Now we could be, uh, uh, it could be very easy and we could do it very quickly to just skip over this line as kind of a throwaway. But it provides a really important transition from the Sermon uh, on the Mount to what we'll, be see, uh, what we'll see happening in this chapter. Jesus was just speaking to the people about how to live in God's kingdom. And now the theory is put into practice. What Matthew does in this transition sentence is, is really uh, quite smart. He is tying what Jesus was just teaching to what Jesus is about to go and do. So let's keep reading in verse two. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Okay, so one verse, one sentence, and we have a lot going on in here. So let's take a, a, just a, a chunk of time to unpackage what's happening here. First, this man had a skin disease referred to as leprosy. It's important to understand that scholars uh, know that this Greek term for leprosy uh, was one that encompassed many disfiguring skin diseases. Modern day leprosy or Hansen's disease uh, was very rare in Jesus' day and uh, some people even think uh, altogether absent. Um, But what is important to understand is that while uh, this term leprosy involved many different kinds of skin diseases, they all in some way disfigured the one who had it. You could tell that they had it and it wasn't pretty. Whatever the precise skin disease a leper may have had, one thing was not in doubt. They had to live outside of their community. They were not allowed to participate in the social or religious life of their family, friends, and, and nation. Often, the attitude towards a leper was that God had cursed them with the disease because of some sort of sin, and that potentially only God could make them well again. In essence, to have leprosy was to be a dead man walking. You had no hope except for an incredible healing miracle by God to be reunited with your family, friends, and community. But why why were lepers ostracized by their communities? Was it only because of the fear of spreading a contagious disease that may have played some part in it, it? but notice that uh, the leper asks Jesus not to heal him physically, but to make him clean. The issue for lepers were that they were ritually impure or unclean. Leviticus 13 says this about those with skin diseases that made a person ritually unclean. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. This category of clean and unclean um, in, in our Western context, is completely foreign to us unless we're talking about you know cleaning the kitchen or something like that, um, and, and this may strike us uh, as a, as a harsh punishment for those who have no control whether they have a skin disease or not, you know like why are they being punished? Why are they being forced out of the community? But it's really really important for us to understand that. This is not in terms of punishment, but in terms of relationship with God and in community. We need to remember the narrative of the scriptures up to this point in Leviticus, the section that we just read. God created the world and created humans to be in his image, uh, to partner with him, extending his peace, uh, his peace to the rest of creation from the Garden of Eden to the entire world. But humanity rebelled against God's authority and were ushered out of the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. And the sto- story continues on of God working to rescue his creation uh, and, and humans from this radical and, and the horrible effects of sin and brokenness that entered creation because of humanity's rebellion. God then chooses to rescue a nation of slaves from Egypt, setting them apart as the conduit through which he wants to put the world right again. But there's an issue. God is holy, or another way of saying that God is holy is God is fundamentally different than people. His presence is full of life, peace, and perfection. And and this presence is dangerous for those who are enveloped in sin and the brokenness of the world. In order to approach God's presence, or the space where God is, Israel must be careful. They must deal with sin and the brokenness of the world in order to approach God. So God gives them a list of things that are unclean or would make them unfit and thusly be dangerous for them to approach his presence and would dishonor God's purity. Things that made one clean were symbolic of the brokenness and death that resulted from humanity's rebellion. If, if you were to touch a dead body, it would temporarily make you unclean. Certainly, certain bodily fluids made you temporarily unclean. Certain skin diseases, while it lasted, rendered you unclean. So lepers couldn't approach God's presence, but why did they have to live outside the community? Why did, why did they have to be in isolation? because uncleanness could be transmitted. Yes, spreading the disease was a concern, but just as big a concern was spreading uncleanness. By touching something unclean, you you were rendered yourself unclean. For anyone to touch a leper would be to render them temporarily unclean and unable to approach God's presence and participate in community life. To approach God's presence being unclean while tainted by things symbolizing death and brokenness was both dangerous and an affront to the living, life-giving presence of God. And so we have this leper who approaches Jesus and is more concerned with being made clean than having the disfigurement from the disease healed. Understand that. He wants to be reunited with his family his friends and his community. He wants to be able to approach God's presence, and he seems desperate enough not to. Uh, he seems desperate enough to break a couple of social customs. Matthew doesn't record him yelling to the people unclean, unclean. Obviously, which lepers were required to do if if near anyone. You know, they had to give a fair warning to people that they were unclean. And he also approaches Jesus in the midst of a crowd, a a crowd of of, of people. And I can just imagine this man walking up, this leper walking up and people scattering in fright as he approached. And one thing to notice uh, in this verse, the leper approaches Jesus bowing down and calling him Lord, which is just a great sign of, of respect towards Jesus. He then says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing. If this leper does not pres- uh, presume that he deserves to be cleansed, he doesn't assume Jesus wants to heal him. Why? Well, as I mentioned earlier, lepers were often regarded as cursed by God. A popular understanding at that time would have been that this curse was earned by some sort of sin. We see this sort of reasoning in John's biography of Jesus where his disciples approach him and point out a blind man and ask Jesus, who sinned in order to make this man blind, him or his parents? And we we look at that line of reasoning and we kind of scoff at it. We would never uh, think that way towards somebody who was blind. But uh, maybe in our culture we might think about that, uh, or think that way about losing a job or going through a tough season. God, what did I do wrong to earn this? In Israel, the sort of connection between tragedy and sin was common and overt. This leper could have easily been, uh, could have easily regarded himself as cursed by God because of some sin that he was guilty of. He would have also experienced deep shame because of his leprosy. He was in a position of worthlessness and exclusion. He was worthless to his family, friends, and community, and he was ostracized, meaning his community actually confirmed his worthless status. So he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make a cursed, worthless, lonely leper clean. I think that's what he's getting at when the leper says, if you are willing. Okay, good work guys. That was was a lot of paradigm making and now we move on to the next verse. Let's keep reading and see where this goes in verse three. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus responds to this man with one touch and two words. Uh, you you can almost hear a horrified gasp from the crowd as Jesus reached out to touch this man. Jesus, the brilliant rabbi who was just amazing the crowds with his teachings, is now touching and untouchable. For the crowd, uh, they would have been baffled that a rabbi would knowingly make himself unclean by touching a leper. In their minds, the uncleanness would transfer to Jesus, but so would this man's shame. By touching this man, Jesus would have been knocked down a few rungs in the eyes of the crowd. For the man, though, uh, this touch uh, is just of profound importance. Again, people were not um, allowed to touch lepers, so more than likely, this man would not have been touched by another human being since he contracted his leprosy. Not only that, he would have had no hope of ever touching another person, of feeling the physical touch of a hand on his shoulder or a hug or a kiss of greeting. For Jesus to touch this man was for Jesus to declare this man as touchable, to experience the reality of normal, physical, human interaction. It was to raise this man out of his shame, his perceived worthlessness, into a place of dignity and value. To Jesus, this man is worth touching. Jesus touches him and says uh, two words in Greek. I am willing, is the Greek word "thelo," and Jesus says be clean, which is the Greek word "katharizo." Jesus cleanses this man by a touch and two words, and a, a very efficient way of cleansing somebody, if you ask me. But realize that Jesus doesn't ask for a confession, He doesn't require this leper to make penance or to try to make right uh, a sin that he's committed before cleansing him. Jesus shows his supreme willingness to cleanse this man by the profound simplicity of touching him and saying two words. So let's wrap up the story in verse four. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them which seems a bit odd, right? Jesus doesn't require anything of the man to be cleansed, but now that he is cleansed, he has a set, he has a set of very specific instructions for him. And I think uh, three things are happening here with what Jesus is saying. Firstly, Jesus has just finished teaching the Sermon on the Mount where he said he didn't come to abolish the law but fulfill it. So look at Leviticus 14 with me. Yahweh said to Moses, "These are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing when they are brought to the priest. The priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. If they have been found, if they have been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. And on it goes for another 28 verses. We don't have to read it all." Leviticus has a very specific set of instructions as to how a person with leprosy can be declared clean and able to re-enter normal, social, and religious life. Do, do you realize that in Leviticus 14, it makes a, disi- a distinction between healing and, and being clean? Once the person is healed, they still need to be judged clean. Many commentators believe Jesus is on the one hand proving that he isn't overthrowing the law. He respects what Leviticus 14 has to say, and so he instructs the man to go. Secondly, for this man to be made right in the eyes of his community and the religious authorities, he must be investigated by a priest and declared clean through following the set of instructions in Leviticus. Jesus doesn't just have a concern to see this man cleansed, but totally restored to his family, friends, and community. He wants to see this man in right relationship with those around him. And finally, for the priest to investigate this man now cleansed of his leprosy and to declare him clean points to the reality of who Jesus is. As I mentioned previously, the general attitude surrounding leprosy was that it was largely incurable, that only God could cure someone with leprosy. If Jesus with one touch and two words, cleansed this man's leprosy. This is a profound revelation to not only the leper and his community, but also the religious leaders as well. Jesus doesn't just speak as one with authority, but he acts as one with authority. All right. We did it. Four verses, a lot in there. Let's uh, just kind of take a step back and think through some implications for us tonight. All right. We've just worked through a pretty um, amazing story. Here we have a leper desiring to be cleansed and most likely out of desperation he approaches Jesus and a crowd of people. If you're a leper, you just don't do that. He opens himself to public derision for his actions of approaching Jesus. He shows confidence in Jesus' ability to cleanse him, but he's not sure Jesus will be willing to do so. Maybe he's unworthy of being cleansed. Maybe this risky gambit won't pay off. Maybe Jesus will rebuke the leper in front of the crowd for approaching and putting Jesus at risk of becoming ritually impure. The leper puts himself in a vulnerable position to be rejected, to have his hopes of cleansing crushed, to be ridiculed and scorned. And we need to understand the exposure this leper had just subjected them to. So let's do just a a thought experiment. If you could, with me, just close your eyes, kind of clear your mind a little bit. Now, imagine something you would be horrified people knew about you. Maybe it's something that nobody knows about you. Maybe it's that you lie and exaggerate stories. Maybe it's that you look at pornography, maybe it's that you are abused, or maybe it's just a, a fear that you're not a good husband or you're not a good wife, that you're really weird or and not in a cool way, that you're damaged goods, that you are unlovable, even to God himself. Now let that just sit in your mind. And with that thing in mind, whatever it is, Imagine you have to wear it on your skin where everyone can see it. And what's more, the people around you are uh, disgusted and a bit frightened by it. Your fears of what people would think of you are confirmed. You are unclean and you cannot be physically around the people you love and care about. And what's more is there's no way to have a right relationship with God. There is a gap between him and you and you cannot surmount that gap. And so you are alone in your uncleanness. Now imagine you hear about a teacher who can cleanse people, even people with your defilement, and just wipe it away. The problem is that he's popular, always with people around him. So in order to even have a shot at asking him to cleanse you, you must approach the crowd, people who will look at you with disgust or at best a a, a haughty pity. People who will not want you near them. And then who knows about this teacher, right? Maybe he'll just pity you too and say, sorry, nothing I I wanna do for you. Or maybe at worst, he'll look at you with contempt and disgust. Is it worth it? The leper thinks the risk is worth it. He thinks the vulnerability is worth it. And so he approaches Jesus in the hopes that Jesus is willing to heal such a one as him. For us, we find our uncleanness addressed in approaching Jesus with vulnerability. Throughout church history, people have understood leprosy to be a vivid analogy of the human condition. Scholar uh, Donald Hagner says this about leprosy. There is a sense in which leprosy is an archetypal fruit of the original fall of humanity. It leaves its victims in a most pitiable state, ostracized, helpless, hopeless, despairing. The cursed leper like fallen humanity, has no options until he encounters the messianic king who will make all things new. In this story, we are made to identify with the leper. Are you okay with that? There is a brokenness in which we participate with and are tainted by within creation and, and this runs counter to what our culture says. We are ingrained with the idea that people are inherently good and evil comes from either mistakes or some simple character flaws or intense mental health struggles. That's the general cultural narrative around human nature. We are just good people who, who make mistakes or bad choices at times. To understand what the scriptures paint of the human condition, though, we, we must make an important distinction, one between morality and value. Our culture assumes a connection between these two concepts. If a person is moral, then a person is valuable. And since all humans are inherently morally good, then we are all inherently valuable. But the scriptures don't make that connection. Genesis 1 starts with humanity made in God's image. An aspect of being made in God's image means humans have inherent value. We have value despite anything we do that seems to suggest otherwise. But the scriptures are also clear that the brokenness of sin has thoroughly tainted human nature. We have an inherent bent to be immoral. Uh, a very simple example of this would be why Hannah and I don't have to teach our one-year-old daughter, Posey, how to hit her cousins in the face, right? Um, uh, we know that the, the scratching phase is coming soon and I really, really am praying that the biting phase just altogether, we, we skip that one. We don't have to teach immorality. There is something that draws us to it one way or another. The absolutely stunning thing about the story of God and what some people find offensive is that we have a broken relationship with God because of our sin and the sin that we experience and we cannot fix it simply by being a good person. And yet, God takes the initiative to heal the relationship, to, to provide a way through which the brokenness of our sin in our lives can be cleansed and we can approach Him in relationship. And in this initiative, He demonstrates to us our value to Him. In this story, uh, the leper approaches Jesus. You know, it seems like He's taking the initiative. But did you realize that Jesus was already there? What I mean is this, God in the flesh and blood was already present, making it possible for this leper to approach. God took the initiative to bring cleansing to humanity and because of this, the leper was able to experience this cleansing. For those of you um, in the room tonight um, who have never decided to follow Jesus, just wanna say you're welcome. We love that you're here with us. The invitation for you is to be vulnerable and open yourself to the possibility that you have brokenness. That evil and wrong in your life is not just mistakes or character flaws that need to be worked out in a therapist's office or something, but that these point to something much deeper about your nature. That there is something fundamentally bent. And then approach Jesus with this. Ask for cleansing and allow him to speak into your life. He is willing to do so. For those of you who have chosen to follow Jesus, uh, I want to challenge you uh, with this verse okay, and and encourage you. Paul wrote this to Titus, a man he was mentoring. He, that is Jesus, gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. We are cleansed by Jesus, given a spot among God's people and freed from every kind of sin. This is the objective reality we have in and through Jesus. We can approach God with confidence because of this. Our relationship with him has been totally healed because of his initiative. And man, I just think, because of this, Jesus is, he's so good, he's so generous, so kind. And in response to what Jesus has done for us, cleansing us, let me now include the three verses before this one in Paul's letter to Titus. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures... We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. We are called to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures if I were to push the analogy of leprosy as the human condition a bit further, for a follower of Jesus to choose to reject the way of Jesus in, a, in an area of their lives, to, to be in sin, to be in rebellion, is for a leper to say, thanks for cleansing me, Jesus. I'm just gonna go dabble a bit in leprosy on the side. And the beautiful thing is Jesus wants to heal that part of your desires, the, the ones that want to sin but you need to allow him to. There is an open invitation to come to Jesus, to confess the sin that you still choose, that Jesus had to cleanse you from in the first place and to respond appropriately. Ask for help from appropriate people in your community, talk to somebody further along in their discipleship to Jesus, reach out to myself or one of the other leaders in the church and we would love to help point you in a healthy direction. Whatever your sin is that you may be struggling with, confess it before Jesus. You know, as I was doing this teaching and over the last couple days, I just, um, I just got a sense that there are people here tonight who um, have sin that they're just trying to hide, that they know it's there, that they struggle with, and, and maybe they think that, well, this is a thing just between Jesus and I. And I would say, it is a thing between Jesus and you, but Jesus wants to address it. And most often, Jesus wants to address it in the context of community. You need help. We need help. We don't just go it alone in this. And so if that's you tonight here, I just wanna say I love you. I, I, I've been there myself uh, more times than I'd care to admit. And yet every time, I have experienced a willing rabbi who wants to cleanse, who wants to restore every single time. I've experienced the beauty of community reminding me of who I am in Jesus, not allowing me to hide in shame because of my rebellion, but instead to, to live into this calling that Jesus has placed on my life. That's my encouragement for you tonight. We follow a rabbi who is willing to cleanse, who does not want us to choose to participate in the brokenness of creation any longer. And we are a people who, unlike the crowds, who actively, uh, we are a people who, unlike the crowds in this story, we actively encourage each other to go to Jesus to be cleansed. We're not just bystanders to one another's story. We cheer people on as they approach Jesus. We don't run in in being scared of being tainted by sin. We encourage each other to approach Jesus. We support one another, value each other, and speak encouragement to see sin cleansed in each other's lives. We do this because we are not unlike the leper ourselves. We have all had to go before Jesus to be cleansed. Let's pray.